Time now to welcome into the show out of the UK via uh, Boston, or New England at least. Anyway, Mike Carlson, g'day. How are you, sir? I'm okay. Or It's good night to me, but um, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. I'm certainly doing better than Josh Allen, uh, who had something of a nightmare. Well, he's had, had something of a nightmare season, really. I think, what, uh, between interceptions uh, and fumbles, he's, he's, uh, he's turned over possession 24 times this season. Uh, but somehow, he keeps his job, but uh, Ken Dorsey, the uh, offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, uh, gets the sack after that loss to the Broncos on Monday Night Football. Yeah, and that came after I was doing a show uh, this morning, and that came after um, uh, before we he- we had heard about it, um, and we actually predicted that um, because I think in a sense that he misses Brian Dayball, who's now the head coach of the New York Giants, and did did very well with that team last year, but but is having a worse season than Josh Allen uh, this season, and what's happened in my in my eyes is Allen's still a tremendously talented player, but they've tried to more or less keep him as a pocket quarterback and take away the running game, which was a big part of his game. And he's got a huge explosive arm, and they keep they keep getting themselves into situations where they have to throw downfield, and sometimes he's completely accurate, and sometimes he's not. And occasionally, as happened um, on Monday Night Football, He's accurate, but the ball's thrown so hard that the receivers have trouble hanging on to it. So it's been a really mixed bag for him. And as you say, he's turned the ball over so often. But they, you know, they have nobody to replace him. And in my mind, they were starting to get things right in this game, which they should have won by running the ball very well. I was surprised at how well their offensive line played but also by involving their secondary receivers. In other words, not just Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis, who are their number one and number two targets, but the rookie tight end, Dalton Kincaid, and the second-year guy, Shakir, Khalil, Khalil Shakir. And if they, can, if they can draw the defense toward the run game, you know they're going to still double Stefan Diggs. Those secondary guys are going to be man-covered. And this is where Josh Allen hasn't quite been ready, or Ken Dorsey hasn't quite been ready to steer the offense that way. Buffalo's in a lot of trouble now with a 5-5 five and five record because in the AFC, there are um, eight teams with winning records and another, another three with 5-5 five and, five re- five and five records. So the battle for the um, wild card playoff spots is going to be a tough one because in the division, Miami is now six and three, um, and they're coming off they're coming off a bye week, uh, and with a very good chance, I think, of uh, of going to seven and three against uh, Las Vegas, which would leave which would leave them two games behind in that um, in that race for a wild card. It's interesting. Uh, you, you, you said the, you know that Josh Allen they, they don't have anyone uh, anywhere else to go because it feels like that across the league. And I was reading some draft reports about where are the next star quarterbacks coming from, given how much Russell Wilson is on at Denver and 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 guys being recycled like at the Raiders and things. I mean, is there a dearth in playmakers and quarterbacks uh, coming through the system? Well, well, there, there usually is anyway, um, and you've had quite a few injuries 
uh, as well, starting with Aaron Rodgers, um, two game, two plays into the season, basically, uh, with with the Jets. But lack of depth is a problem, and a number of teams have had significant second injuries to players, which is why the Giants are playing Tommy DeVito, who has no business starting in the NFL at this stage uh, at quarterback. And there are guys, I think, that were out on the street who they could pick up who would be a better option for them um, than DeVito. Even the Rams picked up um, Carson Wentz, who you know, nobody was interested in for the, for, for the first eight weeks of the season after the last couple of years of his performances. So, yeah, there's a talent um, gap. Um, strangely enough, Caleb Williams, who everybody thought would be the number one pick in the next draft, the quarterback of Southern California, um, has not had such a great season. But there are a couple of other first-round possibilities at quarter. You see this year that teams, um, Washington with uh, Sam Howell, uh, Atlanta with Desmond Ritter were taking guys who they had drafted in the fourth or fifth round of the, of the draft um, two years ago, given a shot at the end of the season, and they played well enough to sort of leave them as the starters this season. But they're not, nobody can step right in. Very few first round picks can step right in and play. And the, of course, the way the draft works is these guys tend to go to the worst teams. So that makes C.J. Stroud of Houston. He was the second player taken in the in the draft behind another quarterback, Bryce Young, at Carolina. But Stroud has just had you know two fantastic games in a row and brought his team to two wins um, on on uh, come from behind drives. And Houston is sitting there with a five and four record with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach, and nobody expected that. Mike, talking about. Um quarterbacks and, and rookie coaches. What about Bill um, Belichick and, and the pressure that he's under at the moment? Like, is he Does he hold on to his um, position this year? And if he doesn't, where does he land? Is, he, is it a, a simple task of him finding another spot to, to go straight into? Yeah, it's a, that's a really interesting question because the more I watch the Patriots, I mean, I watched the, I was lucky because they were, they were playing in Germany, so we got the whole game in the afternoon Yes, on Sunday. I watched the whole game very carefully and went through it again. They're, all, they're so awful on so many levels. Um, and it's not all coaching. It's also, it's also Bill's uh, misfiring as a general manager and, and also the way he's running the team. And part of the, the Patriot, the so-called Patriot way, which is the Belichick way, is based on his success. He can be a grumpy old fart if he wants to be because he's you know, the best coach, arguably, of all time. But certainly he was the best coach for 20 years. And that's starting to wear off, I think. And, and he's had his defense still plays pretty well, but his special teams is a mess. Joe Judge is coaching them, um, who was, you know, went from New England to the Giants, was terrible. Last year was supposedly their co-offensive coordinator and was terrible. Now he's back to special teams and he's terrible. Um, they cut a defensive back, Jack Jones, uh, for basically disciplinary attitude reasons. And I think the problem is with Belichick's legacy, I doubt if Bob Kraft is going to want to fire him. Um, Belichick was fired from the Cleveland job 
um, by Art Modell, who also fired Paul Brown. So he has the distinction of firing two of the four or five greatest coaches of all time. But at the end of the year, I think that they'll have to sit down carefully and Bill was going to have to examine himself to see what he wants to do. Um, you know, he's in pursuit of the all-time wins record, but at the rate he's going, it would take him till he's about 80. Um, and I think I think the Patriots would want to at least redo the front office for him and maybe redo his assistant coaching um, in some ways and put some pressure on him to do that. But I, I just get the sense that he's not going to go unless it comes down to a confrontation. Um, and I don't think the Crafts want to have a confrontation with Belichick. If he goes, where would he go? Could he go to Washington? He's 71 years old. Not many teams bring in old coaches. And I read an interesting interview with Marv Levy, the former Buffalo Bill coach, who retired at 71. His owner begged him to stay, but his owner was 82 at the time. So, you know, like Kraft, uh, these guys seem like kids to them. And he, he said he didn't mind it. But then two years later, he wanted to come back and start coaching again. And nobody was going to hire a 74-year-old head coach. And I think the same probably applies to Bill. And he's younger than I am. I mean, I was I was two years ahead, no, three years ahead of him in college. Well, Mike, does this then forever put to bed the uh, the, the discussion about was uh, did Belichick make Brady look good or did Brady make Belichick look good? Um, no, I don't think so. And even though Brady left the Patriots and went to the to Tampa, um, that first year at Tampa, he was playing with a stacked team that went out and got him what he wanted and basically more or less handed him control of Bruce Arians' offense. The next year was not as successful. In the third year, Brady was really keeping that team afloat. Great as quarterbacks are, and great as great quarterbacks are, they don't win six Super Bowls by themselves. And you know, and if you look at the way games get won and lost, I, you could point to half a dozen plays in those nine Super Bowls the Patriots went to, and they could have had nine Super Bowl wins, or they could have had only one or two. It, it's that you know, it's that fine a margin. So to do it consistently, I think it needs. They were the perfect combination because Brady was smart as smart as Bill and could both understand what Belichick was doing and how to play complementary football to that. The Patriots not only were, I don't know, four different teams during the Brady era, a run first team, a throw deep team with Randy Moss, a dink and dunk team with, with, um, with uh, Wes Welker and, and Edelman, and, and maybe even you could say a, a kind of play action play when Gronk was, was hot. And they not only did that, but they would switch game plans week to week. They would be a passing team one week and a running team the next week. They would play completely different defenses. You know, and that was the genius of Belichick. And Brady's genius was to be able to do whatever those game plans required and read defenses and make the right decisions and stuff. I don't think, you know, I don't think Belichick wins six Super Bowls without Brady. I don't think Brady wins six Super Bowls without Belichick. Yep, they we uh, they went together like bread and butter. Those two. Um, just I'm just going to tack left here a little bit. Uh, Mike, just on the on the introduction of these sensors and the mouth guards uh, and in the shoulder 
the shoulder pads that they're using at the moment and saying that the game in the future may, be, may look different with all the data that they're collecting. Is there much talk about that um, up there ar around the technology that's being used and, and what they will eventually do with the data that's collected? It's, it's a really interesting question because they, they tend to do, only, in, in terms of player protection, they've always tended to do mostly what's been re absolutely required and demanded. And if, if this data can show them things, things that we don't already know, it'll, it will, you know, and I, I'm talking probably about direct impact between or direct connection between impact and brain damage or whatever, or maybe even field um, contact and, and damage, then you might, you might see that. But I suspect it's not going to be able to make those kind of connections. You know, we still don't know whether it's the big hit that causes causes long-term brain damage or what's more likely, it's the accumulation of smaller hits, um, your brain bouncing around so, so often. So we've seen new technology with the helmets. Um, we've seen them really try to take helmet first hits out of the game as much as possible, but I'm still not sure that that's going to be as have as much impact from the uh, onboard technology, as it were, as all that stupid stuff you see from next-gen stats that tells you that someone has run 11,000 yards um, so far this season, you know, just around the stadium, and, and or that someone's reached a top speed of 23 miles an hour uh, on a 40-yard run, you know, and which basically, I, I don't know, lots, lots of people got to ooh and ah about that, but it really doesn't mean much in terms of football. We're back to the football uh, just before we let you go, Mike. Do you think um, the NFL's the most competitive it's been in a long time? I'm just looking at how tight nobody's run away with with their conference, and and just this latest latest round, 14 games, 10 of them decided by four points or less. Yes, I think that's right, and and remember, it's structured to be that way, so that you know if you win your division a couple of the games that aren't within your own division will be played against the winners of other divisions. And so therefore, the better, you're, the better you finish, the harder your schedule is the next year. And that, so that tends to help teams gravitate toward the middle. But this year, you know, you've seen Kansas City, the, the preseason favorites, Philadelphia is 8-1. and one, And they've done it because they're really strong on both sides of the ball but they haven't been as outstanding as they were last year, as dominant as they were last year. Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes. Right now, they're, they're, lacking, they're lacking targets for him. There's no Tyreek Hill there. Uh, there's not even a Juju Smith-Schuster. He was, he was taken away to another planet and replaced by some voodoo <laughs> judo, Juju um, who's playing for the Patriots right now and can't catch a ball. Um, so, so those were the two best teams, you know, the two top teams last year. San Francisco had a rough time. Um, Buffalo's had a very rough time. Injuries on defense as well as Josh Allen on offense. Um, Miami and Dallas are both contenders, but they both have trouble beating good teams. I think Miami's going to get better at the rest of the season because their defense seems to be coming around under Vic Fangio, new coordinator. Plus, they play four of their last five games at home in Miami, which is always a problem for all the other teams that don't play in the hot, humid 
area of Miami. But basically, you're absolutely right. There's no standout team. The a, the NFC after my after Philadelphia, San Francisco, and and arguably Detroit and Dallas doesn't have any good team. You know, I mean, Seattle six and three, Minnesota six and four, but you wouldn't you're not afraid of those teams, and um, they have records like that because they're playing bad teams. They there's only seven teams with winning records in the conference. Um, there's only eight in the AFC, and you know, Houston is right now. If the season were to end today, Houston would be in the playoffs. Pittsburgh is six and three, even though they've been out outgained in every single game they played this season. They've gained fewer yards than the other team. And um, Baltimore, Cincinnati, both looked like they were really hot, and they both lost this week. So it's been that kind of that kind of a season. Tough season betting. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, tell you, I, I, I know. Don't you worry, Mike. I know. Hey, mate, listen, uh, we'll, let you take, we'll let you get that dog out of the house and take him for a walk. Really appreciate your time, mate. Enjoy the rest of the season, and we'll catch up again soon, eh? <laughs> okay, thanks, Ricardo.